started out, this was going to be a three-part uh, series, and I'm still trying to figure out exactly what to do with that. Uh, but for now, uh, we are going to continue this Star of Wonder um, series where we're looking at Christmas through the lens of worship. You know, after, uh, let's see, we've been here uh, 31 years now. Been 30 here at the church 31 years. That's 31 Christmases. I think I've been here for most of those. And there comes a point where you can only preach Christmas so many different ways, right? So you kind of got creative, you know, with what you're going to do there. And so, anyway, uh, that's part of uh, the thing that drives me when it comes to preaching a Christmas message. But for this year, anyway, I thought we would kind of approach it from a little bit different perspective through the lens of worship. And and that's kind of what we've been doing. Last week, uh, we looked, well, actually not last week, but the week before, we looked at uh, expectant worship, where we saw how the wise men fully expected to meet with Jesus, the newborn king, when they headed from the land, it says they were from the east, from the land of Persia, that's where they were from, to Bethlehem. See, listen to me, they would not have traveled over 300 miles, because that's about how far it was, I think we talked about that, from here to Oklahoma City. They would not have traveled that far, and they didn't They didn't have a nice car and, a, and, a, and an interstate you know, to travel on. They would not have traveled 300 miles over a deserted desert area with mountainous area on camelback, hoping that they would get to see the king. No, they fully expected to see the king, all right? And we kind of talked about when it comes to our worship, and, and remember, that's the, that was the sole reason for going there. That's the only reason they made that trip, was to worship Jesus, okay? And so they had these expectations, and we talked a little bit about how when we come to worship Jesus, you know, what are our expectations? Because in a very real sense, if we don't expect to meet with him, guess what? We probably won't, you know? We probably won't. A lot of our connecting with Jesus has to do with our expectations in that area, right? So that's what we talked about the first, uh, last time. So this morning I want to kind of talk about, uh, seeing Christmas through a little bit different lens of worship, expressive worship, expressive worship. And by that I'm talking about the very last statement that was made in the, the, uh, the intro video. And we're looking at one verse, Matthew 2.11. And going into the house, they saw the child. This is after they arrived in Bethlehem. They arrived at the house. They saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Now, I've read that verse, and you've read that verse how many times? And those two words really jumped out at me as I was reading this passage again in my study. Because, now remember, these guys are kings. They're royalty. And here they are bowing down before, and remember we talked about how he probably wasn't a baby, but he was not very old at that time, bowing down before a child. Now you think about that, right? That phrase, they fell down, or some translations say they they bowed down and worshipped him. Notice it does not say that they worshipped Jesus when they arrived and walked in the room, they worshipped Jesus in their heart. Now they might have done that, but that was also expressed in their physical actions as well, where it says that they bowed down to him. See, I think a lot of Christians have this attitude towards worship where they think it's just okay to worship Jesus in their heart. And it is, okay? It is. There's, there's nothing wrong with that, right? But I've had people ask me that. Well, Pastor, can I just, can I worship Jesus in my heart? And what they're really asking is, what they're really asking is, can I worship Jesus just in my heart? That's what they're asking, right? 
And the answer is yes. You can worship Jesus just in your heart. But when you look at the biblical pattern of worship, and that's what we're going to do this morning, it includes much more than just our heart. The biblical pattern of worship includes some very expressive, even demonstrative acts that include our whole being. In fact, one of the most popular commands in the Bible, a verse that many of you could repeat from memory, says that we're to worship the Lord our God with all our heart, period. Is that what it says? With all our heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. What? Strength and with all your mind. And your neighbor as yourself. Right? And we've heard that verse how many times? And do we really understand the significance of that with all your strength? Right? See, worship is is simply an act of, of love and adoration. And here Jesus quotes what he calls the first and greatest commandment. And in this command, it states specifically that our love for and adoration for the Lord should include our total being. Our heart, yes, but also our soul, mind, and even our strength, okay? Now, let me remind you, okay, that we we all, that's that's you, that's me, all of us, right? We are made up of three parts, body, soul, and spirit. So that being the question, Case question, why would you want to worship Jesus, or why would you want to worship God with only one-third of you? Right? Or even two-thirds of you. Wouldn't you want to worship with your total being? And that's what Jesus asked of us, right? That's a fair question. And listen, this is a question that you need to answer, all right? Because here's what it comes down to. All of me should worship all of him. Because all of him is worthy of what he's done, right? All of me should worship because all of him is worthy. You can tweet that if you want. Just throw that out there. Because I thought that was pretty good. Seriously, the Lord Jesus Christ, right, is he not worthy of all that we can offer him in terms of our love, praise, and adoration? All right, let's make sure here. We should worship him with all of ourselves, right? Because some of you are scared. Where's he going, man? Where's he going with this? <laughs> Hold on. Don't leave. Hold on. All right. We should worship with all of our being because he is worthy. And by all of ourselves, I'm talking about our mind, will, our emotions, and yeah, even our body occasionally, right? Isn't that what Jesus said? That we should love the Lord our God with all our mind, our intellect, with all our heart, you know, our spirit, with all our soul, our will, emotions, right? And with all of our strength, which is our body. And it's amazing how many people, how many Christians can be so emotional about some things and yet so unemotional. And I'm one of them. I'm just being honest. I'm not, I'm not a very emotional person, okay? But when it comes to the thing that's most important in our life, which is worshiping our Creator, how we can be so reserved, right? You guys, how many of you watched the uh, Chiefs-Patriots game last Sunday? Huh? Now, be honest. Be honest. Fourth down. Right? Bashad Breeland knocks that pass down from Brady right, to Edelman in the end zone, knocks it down. And tell me that you were sitting down there going, oh, that's pretty cool. Because I'm going to ask your wife. I mean, I, that's kind of something to get excited about, isn't it? But it is amazing how we can be so emotional when it comes to, and that's fine, but you're talking about things that really have no eternal value, yet we get so emotional about those things, but when it comes to the thing that we really should be invested in totally and completely, for some reason we just kind of back off. And, and look, again, the, look, I want to tell you, my goal is to not get us all to be calisthenic boy and calisthenic girl. Because I, I stood behind calisthenic boy when I went to Bible school a lot. 
you know, and then, and that, that, that wasn't a pleasant experience, right? But I'll talk more about that here in just a second, right? So what's my point? Look, I'm not trying to get us all to start dancing and jumping and doing all kinds. My, my point is, look, when you start blaming your lack of physical involvement, when it comes to your worship, well, I'm just not, a, I'm just not an emotional person. That's, that's intellectually dishonest. Because we are when it comes to certain things, right? So. Again, I want to clarify the purpose of the message is to get us to becoming very demonstrative in our worship. I'm just going to say that, look, we're going to look at six biblical expressions of worship, and these are all okay with God. And they should be okay with us. Should they demonstrate? Now that we're going to, within, we're going to talk about some guidelines there, and I'm going to share an experience that actually happened, okay, where that had to be addressed. But let's go ahead and get into these real quick, alright? And, and, and I'll be honest, growing up, I went to a church that only did one of these six. And I'm sure many of you went to a church that only did one of these six. And that was seen, right? And then after I came back to the Lord, I went to a church that did about four of these six. And that was the mustard seed, all right? And, and, and so, uh, and that was kind of a learning curve. But when I went down to Bible school, I went to a place where they did all six of these. And I mean full blown, they did all six of these. And that was a learning experience as well. But I'll talk a little bit more about that when we get to that point. So the purpose of this message is is not for us to all become like Christ for the nations and just become, you know, really demonstrative and weird when we worship God. That's that's not what I'm talking about. I want to talk about these biblical expressions of worship that are are fully okay with God and should they happen to happen here, hey man, go for it. God's okay with that. He really is. It might even be an encouragement to someone else. All right? First of all, real quick, clapping. See, the thing about clapping is even most people who clap during worship, they don't know why you're clapping. Oh, well, you know, I guess everyone, you know, you know, I guess everyone else is clapping, so I'll start clapping, right? And it's not like, look, it's not like you need to necessarily know the specifics about, behind why we clap, but I think it's important for us to understand that there really is a foundation for clapping that's in the Bible during our praise and worship. And there's actually two scriptural reasons, and I want to look at them real quick. The first one is derision, alright? Derision, which is mockery, disdain, contempt, and jeering. Not in a negative way, however, because when it comes to our worship of Jesus, we have a valid reason for our derision, our mockery, and our disdain. Job 27, 23. Here it's talking about the wicked. It says, it claps its hands at him and hisses at him from its place. Nahum 3.19, all who hear the news about you clap their hands over you. In other words, they will deride you. They have a valid reason to ridicule and mock and jeer. So back in the day, here's where this came from. Back in the day when a city would send their army out to battle another country or city, if they were victorious when they came back home, along with some of the spoils from that city, they would bring some people back, some prisoners that they would that they would use as slaves. Okay, And when they would come marching back into the city, their home city, with the, the spoils and and these people from that city that they were going to use as slaves, they would start clapping as they were entering the city because all of the the enemy people were were in front of the army. So at that point, the clapping was they were kind of mocking them. Ah, we beat you. Yeah, beat you. Basically, that's what it was. But behind the the, the captured uh, uh, people was the army. And then at that point, the clapping wasn't for mockery, but it was for victory. So uh, kind of in one fell swoop, they kind of there, there's the two sides of clapping. So as it applies to us, when we come to worship Jesus, we're identifying with the victory that he gives us, but we're also letting the enemy know that we've been victorious over him. See? Yeah, that's worth clapping about. That's worth clapping about, right? We have a valid reason to deride and scorn the enemy, 
right? Because we've overcome him, right? So, and then uh, derision and then rejoicing, Psalm 98, 8. Let the rivers clap their hands, let the hills sing for joy together. Isaiah 55, 12. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing. And all the trees of the field, and that's a spiritual reference to us or God's people, shall clap their hands. Now here we see one of the physical responses for joy is clapping. And the word for joy here, this is this is important, this is referring to a deep-rooted uh, happiness, a happiness that wells up from something of substance in our life. This isn't this isn't some, you know, like, you know, something happens and, you know, it kind of makes us happy, right? Uh, th- th- this is something that wells up from, from deep inside of us, not some surface level. I mean, cocaine will make you happy, amphetamines will make you happy, alcohol will make you happy, but not for long. It, it eventually, you know, Coming down is the hardest part, isn't that what Tom Petty says? Right. So this is this is a this is a joy that wells up from deep inside of us, and is a lasting joy. So it's a, there's a difference there. Is what it's talking about there. So the basis for our clapping during worship goes back to that biblical pattern. First, we clap because we're deriding, jeering, or mocking our enemy who's been defeated. Okay, and we have a valid valid reason to scorn him because. Our Savior went out and fought the battle and defeated him, right? The second reason we clap is because we're applauding the Lord who has defeated our enemy and brought us victory. So clapping serves a twofold purpose. We're telling the enemy we're victorious over him, and we're telling the Lord that we honor you for giving us victory over our enemy. All right? Second biblical expression of worship is shouting. Psalm 47, 1, clap your hands, all people shout to God with loud songs of joy. Now, this picks kind of up where we left off with the clapping. Clap your hands, all you people, right? Got any people here? How many people we got here this morning? Got a few. Got a few people here this morning, right? Okay, so this verse is talking to us. And it's instructing us to clap our hands and what? Shout. Now, Southern Baptist Church, I agree, they didn't shout. In fact, they showed you the left foot of this fellowship if you shouted too loud in that church. Right? Shout to God with the voice of triumph. That's what King James Version says, which is probably a better translation, because it shows us that shouting is a cry of victory or conquest. Exodus 32, 18 says, But he said, It is not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. Here Moses and Joshua are coming down from Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments, and they hear a noise, and they're thinking, This isn't the shout of, of, of victory or cry of defeat, but it's just singing. But here's my point. They knew that shouting represented victory. That's the point. They knew that shouting represented victory and crying represented defeat. So clapping is an expression of worship. Shouting is an expression of our worship as well. Thirdly, singing is an expression of our worship. Psalm 95, 1. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Psalm 96, 1. The very next chapter. Oh, sing to the Lord an old hymn. Is that what it says? Oh, sing to the Lord an old hymn. Oh, sing to the Lord an old chorus. Now look, there's nothing wrong with old hymns, there's nothing wrong with old choruses, right? The problem here arises when we become so familiar with the song that the truths and realities expressed in it no longer have meaning to us. And that can happen whether it's a hymn or whether it's a chorus. It doesn't matter. You understand that, right? When the song no longer brings any life or hope to us, perhaps it's time to learn a new song. And the Bible says it's okay, you can do that. It's okay to learn a new song, right? So that's on us. Right? That's why it's good to learn new songs occasionally. New songs. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Right? And by the way, both of these verses were written in the imperative tense, which means it's a command. They're commands, not suggestions. We talked earlier about singing and clapping by, you know, that by faith, right? In Numbers chapter 21. 
the children of Israel are out in the wilderness and come to a place called, it's, it's spelled beer, B-E-R, it's actually pronounced Be'er, but it's not talking about Bud Light or Dos Equis, so don't let your mind go that direction. But they come to this city called Be'er, right? And uh, the children of Israel, they're thirsty, and they didn't have any water, so the Lord leads them to this city where there's this well. The problem is the well's no longer serviceable, right? It's been abandoned, so the Lord said to Moses, well, well let's just read it, Numbers 21, 16 and 17. And from there they uh, from there they continued to Be'er, that is the well of which the Lord said to Moses, gather the people together so that I may give them water. Then Israel sang this song, spring up, O well, sing to it. So the children of Israel in the desert, they're thirsty, there's no water in sight. So God leads them to a city where there's this old abandoned well, but it's dry. And when they arrive there, the people are like, what's this, Moses? You lead us to an abandoned well? You know we're thirsty. You're trying to tease us? What kind of a sick joke is this, right? right? What's this about? And Moses tells them, just begin singing. He tells them, just begin singing to the well. And surely there was at least one Israelite that thought, are you kidding me? <laughs> right? Surely there was at least one cynical Jew in the crowd who said, this has got to be the stupidest thing that I've ever heard in my life. Think about it. There there was no precedence for this. It's not like this had happened before, right? People are like, oh yeah, I remember one time we did this. and No, 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 that hadn't happened before. So it was a, my point is it's a total act of faith. It was a total act of faith on their part, right? Just start singing to the well and see what happens. But again, it's a total and complete act of faith. There's nothing that they could point to indicating that if they sing to the well, that God would do a miracle. But they did obey, they did sing to the well, and guess what happened? God provided water miraculously for them. Right? Some of you might have a dry well in your life right now. Maybe an area that's kind of dry and parched. Maybe uh, an area that you feel like maybe you abandoned, or maybe God abandoned you in that area for some reason. Why don't you try singing to it? What do you got to lose? Try singing to it. There's biblical precedence for it now. There wasn't then, but there is now. Right? We talked this um, a few weeks ago in Second Chronicles 20 when there was a time in the, uh, the history of God's people where, you know, King Jehoshaphat was surrounded by all the enemies and he came up with this plan. I mean, you know, he, he did it the right way. He, he first, first he sought God and he fasted and prayed, called the people to do that. And then he came up with this plan to send the choir out. Remember we talked about he sent the choir out in front of the army? Remember that story? And uh, that was an act of faith, especially if you were in the choir. All right? So there is precedence for this is what I'm saying. All right? So uh, another expression of worship, singing is a form of worship. Another expression is bowing and kneeling. Oh, come let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, Psalm 95, 6. Bowing and kneeling signifies submission to authority. And, 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 and look, that's willingly or unwillingly. That's on either side of that. You need to understand that. And I say that because the Bible says that there's coming a day when every knee, every knee is going to bow before Jesus and declare him as Lord and Savior. And I'm telling you, folks, it's a whole lot better to do that willingly than to be forced to do it. Because if you're forced to do it at that point, it's too late. I'm just saying. It's going to happen, right? So question, one day you're going to bow before the Lord, why not just do it now? Seriously, you need to answer that question. You're gonna, it's gonna happen one day, why not just do it now willingly? Alright. 
The reason the wise men bowed down before this toddler Jesus was because they recognized that even at that age, even at that age, his authority was greater than theirs. And remember, at that time in history, the wise men or magi, as some translations call them, uh, they did have authority. It's not like, I mean, these were like kings. So they understood what authority was all about, right? They were very well respected and looked up to. They were the intellectual elite of the day. Yet these wise, wealthy kings bowed down before this child because they recognized his position as the king of kings. Why? Because bowing and kneeling is an expression of worship. Even Satan, listen, even Satan understands the significance and power of bowing. Remember right after John the Baptist baptizes Jesus in the Jordan River, it says that he went into the wilderness of 40 days of fasting. At the end of the 40 days, we're told that Satan approached him to tempt him. And the first temptation, remember this, was to turn stone into bread. But the second temptation, well, I'm going to let Matthew describe it for us. In Matthew 4, 8 and 9, this was the second temptation when Satan approached Jesus after being in the wilderness for 40 days. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will worship me in your heart. Is that what it says? What's it say? If you will fall down, if you will bow down. Why would he say that? Really? Why would... Couldn't he just say, if you just worship me? No, no, no. Even Satan understood the power of bowing and kneeling before authority. It was not going to be legit in his eyes unless Jesus bowed down to him. But see, the thing is, and Satan didn't realize this, but Jesus already had the kingdom. He was just going to get it a different way. He was going to get the world. He was going to get all the kingdoms anyway. He was just going to do it God's way, not his way, right? So even Satan understood that, right? So it was a legitimate temptation by Satan. But from Jesus' perspective, he was going to get it back anyway. So bowing or kneeling before someone represents adoration and honor. We don't, we don't see this very much in our North American culture today. People bowing in honor of or in adoration of someone. But we do see it occasionally. Um, let's say you're at a nice restaurant. Uh, Sue and I had a gift card, so we went out to, uh, uh, what was that, Chicago, old, old Chicago last night and used this gift card I've had for over a year. For a wedding I did. It's kind of nice to stumble across those every now and then. Hey, we can have a date tonight, you know? But anyway, so uh, this didn't happen last night. But say you're at a restaurant and then all of a sudden we look over another table and we see a, a couple. And then we see the guy get up and walk over to the girl's side of the table. I'll do this over here. And pull something out of his pocket. Well, what's he going to do? Ask for money? No. no. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> No, no, we know what it, he is honoring and adoring her, right? By bowing down on that knee. He is showing honor towards her, right? Everyone knows what he's about to do. He's going to propose. Why is he kneeling? He's honoring her. He's adoring her. Now, kneeling is also a sign of submission, but that comes after the wedding. Okay, just letting you know that. So, the wise, <laughs> the wise men showed up. I'm just seeing if you're awake. The wise men showed, showed us that bowing and kneeling is an expression of worship. Another biblical expression of worship is lifting of hands. Now, most people associate lifting of hands uh, with surrender, and, and, and it does indicate that. In fact, it's the universal, it's the universal sign of surrender, uh, right? And there's certainly nothing wrong with lifting our hands in worship. Uh, but lifting our hands to the Lord is more than just an, an indication of surrender to him. Lifting our hands represents more than just Surrendering to God. And Psalm 63, 4 says, So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. Notice when David said he would bless the Lord. As long as I live. In other words, he's talking about his entire life. Right? 
So look, we know we're going to be worshiping the Lord forever in heaven. Why not get in some practice now? Why not get some practice in here in this life, here and now? And David says, I will bless you as long as I live. Luke 24, 50. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. Psalm 134, 2. Lift up your hands, where? In the sanctuary, and bless the Lord. That's New King James Version. This sentence, by the way, was also written in the imperative, which makes it a what? Command. Not a suggestion, a command. And notice it doesn't say lift up your hands in your prayer closet but rather in the sanctuary at church. And according to the Bible, lifting our hands is both an expression of worship and, watch this now, it's also an expression of blessing. When we lift our hands to someone, we are blessing them. The word blessed means happy. Remember uh, the Beatitudes Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 where he talked, uh, we went through and said, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are the merciful, etc., etc. The word that he used there, blessed, means, watch this now, literally means happy. So when we come to church to worship and lift our hands to the Lord, not only are we blessing Him, we're making Him happy. You ever thought about that? Isn't that kind of neat to know that we can make Jesus happy? We can make God happy? How? By blessing Him. I bless you, Lord. Right? And I think if there's anyone, if there's anyone we want to make happy, especially around Christmas time, if there's anyone we want to make happy, it's God, right? And look, if you have children or grandchildren, you, you kind of understand this better than you realize, right? We could go Friday. We went up to pick up Evan's uh, three older kids, uh, and uh, they came down and spent the night with us. This, this was this was the, the precursor to the the overnighter this last Friday night. But a week ago Friday, went up and picked up uh, Joan. Or no, no, we just picked up Georgia and, and Gwen, the two girls. Yeah, Jonah didn't come with that one. But so we pull into the drive, and uh, Evan had just pulled in. And so, uh, Gwen, Gwen got out of the car. And, and so, you know, Sue's like standing right there and I'm here. And Gwen just comes right. <laughs> you don't know what that does to your heart, man. When, when, the, when the grandkid, you know, comes running that, you know. And then I set her down. So Sue's over here going like this and Gwen just went right by her. <laughs> I gotta say that when I can, because I'm usually on the other end of that. I'm usually on the one that they, they run by. But, but you understand that the, the joy of, you know, just like a kid just coming up and just want, Jesus wants to do that. He just wants to pick us up in his arms. You know, he just wants to pick us up and love on us and hug us, right? When we lift our hands to the Lord, it makes him happy. What an amazing truth that I, that you, a human being, actually have the capacity to bless the Lord. Man, that's a really powerful thing, you know? So clapping, shouting, singing, bowing, lifting hands, and here's the sixth and final expression, and I save the best for last, dancing. Here we go. That's what you all been waiting on, right? Folks, it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. Right? Now, I got a question for you. Who invented dancing? Ooh. <laughs> I'm thinking God did. He's the creator of all things, right? Well, you think God just wanted us to worship from him from the waist up? And look, when the Bible talks about dancing before the Lord, don't get the idea that, that we're supposed to incorporate some worldly, you know, do the Dougie for God or something like that. I, I, I look, I don't know. 
I, I know how I've seen this expressed in other people's lives. Okay? And I'm not saying that, you know, that you need to come to this point where you do this if you really want to be a Christian. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, hey, it's in the Bible, and at some point in time, it might be appropriate for someone to do it. And if it happens, and it's in order, then, then hey, then we should, you know, we should be fine with that. Now, see, I don't dance because I've got Navin Johnson's disease. Anyone heard of Navin Johnson? Anyone seen the movie The Jerk? Steve Martin, Navin Johnson, was adopted by a, a black family in Mississippi, okay? And, and he grew up in that home, and he had no... Well, Brett, go ahead and show that clip, then, so we can... This is where he, he finally learns how to get rhythm. And that concludes this Sunday night gospel hour, live from the Four Square Gospel Church and the Divine Salvation in St. Louis, Missouri. The Reverend Willard Wilman, pastor... Now, music throughout the night. Music in a mellow mood. Okay, that when it comes to uh, dancing before the Lord, that, that's going to look different. Uh, you know, I, I, I can I can show you what uh, they did down at Christ for the Nations, uh, but uh, which is probably that the only time I danced before the Lord was a we call it the CFNI two step. Uh, but anyway, uh, but th- that's not necessarily the type of dancing that the, that the Bible's talking about. But but it could be. I mean, really, it could be, right? If someone wants to move their feet for the Lord, who are we to say, you know, that's not of God, right? Now, having said that, let, let me let me share an illustration because last uh, summer at the 
the Woodson family camp that Sue and I go to occasionally, there there was uh, a, a lady uh, at one of the evening services that was uh, expressing her worship to the Lord during our praise time, and she was she was kind of dancing around. And uh, the the thing is, it it was kind of distracting because it it, it was kind of in front of. She wasn't just standing, she was moving around, and so it was kind of like somewhat distracting. So the next morning, uh, my pastor, the superintendent, uh, called some of the pastors together, and he talked to us. He said, look, he said, I'm not real sure what to do here. I don't want to quench the spirit, but I, I just want to bounce this off of you guys. What do you guys think? And, and to a person, we're kind of like, you know, we understand if she's wanting to express that, but if she wants to do that, fine, but maybe if she just went to the back of, of, the, of the sanctuary. Uh, and, and that's what, uh, Brother Yancey, my pastor, ended up telling her. You know, what you want to be kind, you don't want to be mean about it, I mean, because she was just expressing that. So I say that to say, you know, there are times, yeah, it might have to be addressed. I know those of you, a few of you that might know the Moors, uh, uh, Dave and Joyce and Scott, their son, uh, who are in Thailand now, we support them, uh, Abba House Ministries, but, uh, when they were still living here in the States, uh, they went to a service up at, uh, Met, well, Met, was it a Metro Vineyard at that time, the Vineyard Church over in Grandview. And it was a conference where they actually incorporated flags, uh, as, as part of their, their worship time. And, uh, and their son, Scott, 6-6. Okay. Some of you know Scott Moore is like 6-6. So he's at the service. And apparently, I wasn't there, but apparently he got nailed by one of those flags as these people are, you know, and, and, and that's not good. <laughs> you know, that kind of quenches the spirit, right? You, you kind of don't really want to worship Jesus after you've been hit in the head, you know, with a, with a flag, you know, no matter how in the name of God they said it was. So I say that to say, look, yeah, I mean, th- th- this is kind of like the spiritual gifts. The spiritual gifts, since they're operating through human flesh, there's, there's, a, there's the opportunity for abuse. And, and Paul, that's why he had to write Corinthians. <laughs> you know, 1 Corinthians, what chapter? Most of Corinthians is about, look, but here's the interesting thing. He didn't say, you know what, you guys can't handle them, so don't even try. He came in there and he he commended them for what they were doing right, but then he said, you know, you, you kind of need to dial in some of these things. And so then he begins to tell them what they were doing wrong. Okay? So it's like, if this is something that you feel like God's... You know, don't squelch it just because it might not be. No, it is biblical. We've determined it's a biblical pattern. It's just a matter of where your heart's at. And that's what I want to include conclude with. Psalm 149, verse 3, Let them praise His name with dancing, making melody to Him with tambourine and lyre. Psalm 154, verse 4, Praise Him with tambourine and dance. And again, by the way, both those verses were written in the imperative, which means they're a command, right? Not suggestions, but commands. Right? So, uh, now, I'm going to finish with this verse here. Luke 7, 31 and 32. Listen to this. To what then, and this is Jesus speaking, by the way, Shall I compare the people of this generation and what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, some translations say, mourn for you and you did not weep. This is amazing. Listen to this. Jesus himself is talking to the Jews and he says, To what shall I liken or how can I best describe this generation? The best way to describe you guys, this generation, is like being at a celebration and we played the flute for you and you didn't dance and then we mourned for you and you didn't weep. Now everyone look up up here for a minute, all right? Because I want to, this, this is important. Where were the wise men from? They were from the east. They were from Persia, which means they were not Jews. These were Gentiles. They were Arabs. The, the wise men were Arabs, right? Which made them non-Jews. 
Right? Now watch this. As far as we know, now think about this. As far as we know, they were the first ones to ever bow down to worship Jesus Christ. Think about that. Now we know the shepherds came earlier, right after he was born. We talked about that. But, and maybe they did. They probably worshiped, but it doesn't say specifically. Luke doesn't say if they bowed. Matthew tells us specifically when the wise men, the Gentile kings got there, they bowed down and worshiped Jesus. That is the first recorded incident we see where people bowing before, and they weren't even Jews. Right? What we do know about the shepherds is after leaving the baby Jesus, they went back to Jerusalem, right? Remember that? The shepherds, they find Jesus, they go back to Jerusalem, and they start telling everyone about what they had seen and the birth of the newborn king. So they knew. The Jews knew. That's my point. The Jews knew because the shepherds went back to Bethlehem and told them. Yet they refused to travel five or six miles, right? The distance between here and Baldwin, that's what it would have been, from Bethlehem to Jerusalem, they, they refused to travel that to worship the newborn king. Right? And Jesus is telling the Jews, you know what? At my birth, when you should have rejoiced, you didn't. And at my death, my crucifixion, when you should have mourned, you didn't. And because of that, you're going to miss your Messiah. That's what he's telling them. In other words, they missed the time of their visitation. And it broke Jesus' heart. It broke his heart. At his birth, they should have come to worship and adore him. At his death, they should have mourned, and they didn't. They missed it. Now, why was this their visitation? What made the Jews, what made this the Jews' visitation? Well, first, two things, because Jesus came, and he did, and that's true. But the other reason was their visitation. This was their visitation because they were alive when this happened. They were there when the opportunity to witness, and they had all that they had all longed for and looked for, the coming Messiah, they saw it fulfilled, the coming Messiah. But not all of them saw it. Some of them missed it. Now listen to me. This is our visitation. This is our visitation. This is our chance to worship the king. This is it. This is our only chance. We don't get a mulligan on this. Right? We don't get a, we don't get a do-over life. This is it. There's no reincarnation. Jesus is here and you're here. The ball's in your court. What are you going to do? Right? Are you going to ignore him? Are you going to come and bow down before him? and worship Him. And more importantly, for those of you who did dance when you heard the flute, for those of you who didn't miss your visitation and consider yourself a worshiper of the King of Kings, here's a question for you. What are you doing for the King now? What are you doing for the King now? Are you using your gifts and talents that He created you with to serve Him and His kingdom? Because if you're not, you'll never, listen, you'll never experience the fulfillment that He has for you as one of His followers. Because he's given you each of us gifts and talents and we need to use those for his kingdom. We are more fulfilled when we're using our gifts and talents that he's given us for him. Why? Because we are never more like Jesus than when we're serving others. We are never more like Jesus than when we're serving others. For it was Jesus himself who said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve others. See, that's why we continue to talk about these next steps, right? Next steps with God. For some of you, listen, for some of you, your next step is finding what your gifts are and using them for the Lord in the context of the local church. And if you're not sure what your spiritual gift is, hey, come talk to me. We need to find out what that is. Get plugged into one of these home groups that will be starting in February. Because one of the best ways to identify your spiritual gift is to see it in operation in someone else's life. Right? So, we've just gone over six biblical expressions of worship. So I want to conclude with this question. 
What validates all these expressions of worship? You see, if you see someone engaging in any way, or one or all of these different expressions of worship that we just talked about, what validates those expressions? What validates the clapping, the shouting, the bowing, the singing, the lifting of hands? What validates those things? Listen, what validates those things are his presence. That's the only thing. There's only one thing that validates those things, those expressions, and that is the presence of Jesus. And I'll just say this. If you go to a church where you see some of these expressions taking place and you don't sense the presence of God, something's wrong. I'm just saying. Because that's what validates him is the presence of Jesus. I first got saved in a church that wasn't expressive in their worship. And the first time that I attended a church where they were expressing, it was like, I mean, it was like, kind of blew me out of the water. I'd never seen stuff like that before. But the thing that I remember most, actually there are two things I remember about that experience. First, I was, I was thinking, man, what have I got myself into? So I'm looking for how to get out of here. How can I discreetly sneak out of this place with a bunch of weirdos here, right? right? But, but there was a part of me that was like strangely attracted to it. It was like, I, in a way, it was kind of like, I wanted to get out of there, but a part of me wanted to kind of see what's going on, you know? And what the, I didn't realize it at the time, but see, we're, we're all hardwired to worship. We're wor- we were created to worship. And when we're putting in an environment where people are create, where they see what they were created to do, there's something in them that's like, they don't fully understand it, but it's like, man, there's something that was attractive about that. And that's what it was. I was seeing these people do what God created me to do. I just never knew it before. All right? The difference is the presence of Jesus. A few years ago, I think it was 2015, and I'll conclude with this, because I think that's the last time that the Pope uh, visited the U.S., but I was watching the evening news, and the lead story was Pope Francis's visit to the U.S. I don't recall what city it was, but uh, it showed this motorcade uh, driving through this city, and the people were lining the streets, and were clapping and shouting and singing, some of these things that we just talked about. Some were Some were bowing. Some of these people were bowing as the motorcade came by, and the Pope, you know, and and uh, but it came by this construction site, and apparently someone had uh, in advance had had saw the scaffolding that was up at this construction site, and uh, had climbed up at the top of the scaffolding. And it was real easy to see, and and so th- there's this, this footage of the motorcade coming through, and you see all these, and there's this guy on top of the scaffolding just clapping and yelling, just just going crazy. Now, question: No one thought anything about that. Why? Because the Pope. Now, if he'd gone back the next day and climbed up on that scaffolding and started doing that stuff, what do you think would have happened? They'd been calling him and sending him to Osawatomi, wouldn't they? It's the presence. It's the presence that makes the difference, that validates it. The presence of Jesus. All right? So that's what holds true. If someone's doing all these things, these different biblical expressions for no apparent reason, then it is weird then it is weird. In fact, it's wrong. But if Jesus happens to be there, then not only is it not weird, it's good. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. Now again, I want to conclude by reiterating, this isn't an attempt to try and get us to start jumping and dancing and singing and shouting and hooting and hollering and all that. But I'm telling you, look, we're looking at Christmas through the lens of worship, and these are biblical expressions of worship. Okay? So I just want you to kind of evaluate your worship of God through the lens of these things that we talked about, okay? Just be open to anything and everything that God would want to do. Amen? Everyone bow your head. Everyone bow your head, please. You know, for the most part, I was kind of talking to believers this morning, but uh, 
If you're here this morning and you've never, uh, you've never made that initial, uh, taken that initial step of bowing before the Lord, not literally maybe, but bowing your heart before the Lord, you know, this would be a good time to do that. And look, I'm not, if you're not right with God, you know it. Alright? You know it. It's not something you have to be convinced of. If you're not right with God, you know it. So if you're here this morning, today, you're not right with God, you know it. So I'm going to give you an opportunity to get, make things right with God. And it's just a matter of, of uh, just repenting. Just acknowledging the Bible says, you know what, if we, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. So basically repenting is just agreeing with what God already says about us and then that's, we're sinners. And that's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing at all. We were born into sin. That's a big party, people. Welcome to the party. If you're a sinner, welcome to the party. It's a big party. There's nothing wrong with being a sinner. God just doesn't want us to stay there. He wants to cleanse us. And so I want to lead you in a prayer. If you're here this morning, you're not right with God. Just be open and honest with God. Say, God, I know that I'm not right with you, and I pray that you would forgive me of my sins and help me to begin living my life for you, walking with you. And help me, Father, to trust you, even with all the questions that I have. For now, I just uh, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe you died for me in my sins. And I ask you to come live in my heart right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you uh, if you prayed that prayer, I want to ask you to do something. If you would, if you, one of those cards on the back of that seat in front of you, there's a place on there that you can check that box because we want to help you with your next steps because God does have some next steps for you. And just check on there, you know, I prayed that prayer and turn it in there at the next steps desk if you would. Or tell me, come and just go tell someone. Just say, you know what, I prayed that prayer with Pastor. I prayed that prayer with Pastor. Amen. Let's all stand. One more time, I want to uh, invite you to uh, our first ever Christmas Eve Eve service tomorrow evening. We're going to have a good time. And uh, then, of course, our traditional, our annual Christmas Eve service, candlelight service, will be on Tuesday evening. So invite you to both. Hopefully you can make at least one, if not both of those. Lord, I pray that you would go with us now as we uh, continue these last few hours before we celebrate Christmas, Lord. Uh, uh, more than anything else, help us to just keep focused on the real reason for the season. And as we do, Lord, we just believe you to make this the best Christmas ever as we lift up the newborn King, Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus Christ. Pray these things in your name. Amen. 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 Lord bless you. Go with the Lord and Merry Christmas.